Hi, I'm Akko. And I'm Marcy. And welcome to the Color Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Yes, colorful backgrounds. Whew! And so today we'll actually be continuing our discussion of Akko's pick, La Casa de los Espíritus, or The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende. Yes. So... I guess before we like really jump in, jump in, I guess we can maybe start with like talking about what our predictions were from the last episode. This kind of goes without saying, but you know, listen to part one so that any and all of this shit makes sense. But yeah, so Akko, do you want to start with your predictions? Yeah, so I kind of liked Esteban Garcia and you'll see when we talk about the summary why I'm very upset about that. Um, (laughs) I wanted him to come in and destroy everything and, you know, the proletariat, you know, for the people. So that, okay. And then I also hoped that Tresero would come back, Pedro Tresero, and that he and his father would reunite and they'd have like a nice little reunion. Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to find out who this mystical grandchild who was kind of the third voice who was explaining what was happening, but was mystical and not really around. So mm-hmm. those were my predictions. What about you, Marcy? Yeah, so... So kind of similar. I mean, the thing is, so it was kind of like cheating in this book because like, I mean, the way it was written, they would be like, oh, yeah, Esteban Garcia, who, you know, later becomes like whatever, whatever. Like they kind of like would hint at things. So I kind of knew that Esteban Garcia would be bad. I figured that, you know, since history kind of repeats itself, that he would be sort of like a Esteban Trueba kind of person. Like he would rise to like a similar level of power and just be like heinous. Like nigga would just be like deranged and do (laughs) terrible shit. I predicted that since Clara and Blanca, you know, walked out on that ass, that they would basically just kind of go on and, like, live a life free of Esteban Trueba and just kind of, like, have a simple life where they were just, like, together and, like, super close, which is unfortunately not what happened. Um, I also figured that Transito Soto, who was the sex worker that Trueba had, like, a really close relationship with, I figured she would kind of come in and sw- save Treba like from Esteban Garcia at like the 11th hour and like Loki might get killed in the process and then that the book will kind of just end abruptly and be like this is power and this is how this works so all in all though honestly I mean just given like you know the shit we predicted with like Sula in like fifth season I feel like we're like this is like Loki on the money like I feel like we like kind of did that yeah I don't think we were as incorrect this time as we were other times but then also she kind of gave us these cheats in the middle of the story right so like did we really like did we really use intuition like did that happen like no but like whatever like (laughs) it's fine we like we practice reading comprehension and just i don't know remember the details so yes right exactly we're just we're we're intuitive people that's what it is yes so if you guys remember in part one clara and blanca were leaving their abusive father slash husband esteban who had just punched out Claire's teeth and beat up Blanca Oof. for loving someone because the patriarchy. So now at the start of part two, they're heading back to the capital. Um, Janie, Jamie, Hameen, right? We're doing this properly. Hameen continues his like martyr lifestyle by going to medical school while Nicholas continues to search for identity and basically be useless. And of course, Blanca <laughs> is still pregnant so during this time the house becomes more magical people come and go it's actually very anti-capitalist very anti-nuclear family the morris sisters are kicking it doing their magical stuff and people are actually chilling like everyone's kind of good but then hameen's like i think blanca's pregnant and i guess dad should know so he tells esteban 
So then mm-hmm. Esteban goes and snatches Jean Santigny, if you all remember, um, the chinchilla guy. Oh, that guy. French bitch? <laughs> yes. yes. <Yeah>, okay. <laughs> <laughs> From from part one who's in some cafe where he's just drinking melon juice and he's like you're marrying Blanca (laughs) (laughs) to avoid a scandal so he's like "Uh, I guess so Esteban moves back into the house which I guess that means Marcy your prediction about never seeing him again which we all hoped for um doesn't come true wasn't true um but it's fine it's fine um it's fine I'm over it (laughs) Right. I'm over it. Anyway. So, so then Esteban moves back in, and of course, all the fun stops. He tells Blanca that he killed Pedro Tessera Garcia, even though technically he didn't. He's definitely alive. And I mean, he's short three fingers, but he's like alive. And then right. he forces her to marry Jean. Her only contact from the, for a while then is between Clara and with, through these letters that she's writing. So then Nicolas gets into this whole dancing thing where he starts giving dancing lessons, even though he can't dance. Like it's made very clear that he's made up these steps. And then he starts <laughs> building a hot air balloon because he's like that. But I guess this is a callback to his like great, great grand uncle, but I really don't care. So then... <laughs> So then, uh, tell us how you really feel, God. <laughs> so then, Nicholas, and then he has his girlfriend Amanda, who is very like cool goth punk, very nihilist, um, and she has this five year old brother named Miguel, who they kind of just pass through the house. I mean, it's right; they're 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 in a state like they have issues that Nicholas doesn't know about because Nicholas doesn't know about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the upcoming election. Oh, and Hamin falls in love with Amanda because there needed to be. A uh, love triangle because of heteronormativity. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it literally it had no purpose in the book. So then there's an upcoming election, and Clara oh, predicts this that. Read. <laughs> so Clara predicts that the same people who usually win will win again, and they do. The conservatives win, and Esteban Tueba becomes senator. Mm-hmm. And then Pedro Tesero is really depressed, which is understandable because again he is three fingers short of a five. Um, mm-hmm. But then Father Jose Dulce Maria, the socialist, who is lit, is like, hey, man, you can learn how... There's a person who learned to write with his toes. You can learn to write to play the guitar with three fingers. So then he goes on to learn to play the guitar again and becomes this huge radio star who sings about the rebellion. And then they were saying that Esteban never heard this because he breaks every radio that he ever comes in contact with because he has anger management issues. Yes. So then... <laughs> Correct. So then, <laughs> So then Helmine and Pedro Tessero are also just like kicking it on a Thursday with the socialist meetings. And they're just, you know, having a good time, honestly. Nicholas is, again, up to his antics. And he completely forgets that Amanda is not there until he like wakes up one day and remembers that she is. And then she goes, he goes and visits her. And she's <laughs> deadly sick, poor, and pregnant with his child. So... Nicholas, being the responsible person that he is, has no idea what to do and basically goes to his brother again for help. Hameen literally does the equivalent of a Google search, like <laughs> with books, and then performs an abortion. And that scene, I was like, oh, <laughs> Lord. No, like, like dead as Allende was like, oh, yeah, like, Jaime just like really, really read closely the part in the encyclopedia about like performing an abortion and then like, performed an abortion and i'm just like girl what like he's like still in med school in no way certified to do this shit it was crazy yes it was crazy and so then nicholas as per usual has someone else shoulder responsibility and it's jaime jaime and amanda get closer and it's kind of cute and kind of tragic and esteban thinks he's shrinking but again nobody cares about that subplot so (laughs) 
Akko's low-key kind of giving away how we feel about the book, like, sort of at large. We're going to try to keep it really cute for the summer, but Chile, we got some... We got some things to talk about in the in the discussion part of this episode. So, okay. So everything awkward just described was chapter seven. So in chapter eight, basically it kind of goes... So this is kind of what I liked about the second half of the book. You sort of see more details about characters that didn't really get a lot of screen time earlier. So chapter eight kind of focuses on Blanca's relationship with um, John de Satigny. Um, anyone that speaks French is going to be like, wow, this ignorant bitch. But um, basically, yeah, so Blanca's with the Count. And, you know, they have, like, you know, the wedding is, like, you know, whatever. It's kind of just there to save face. And, you know, they end up having this this honeymoon. But, essentially, Blanca kind of realizes that John's very, like, low-key. And, like, their marriage feels more like a friendship than anything. Like, you know, they sleep on opposite sides of the bed. Like, there's, like, no real... Like, she thought she was going to have to, like, lie to this nigga and be like, oh, like, I have a migraine. Like, guess we can't have sex. But, like, he was like, I actually don't want to have sex. And she was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) So, like, they on the same page. So basically, they move to the, I guess, like this desert region in the north, um, and they move into this like really decadent like house. <sighs> then basically, they oh my god, oh, mm. oh girl. <laughs> so they're in this house, right? And so they have like you know a bunch of house workers that they hire, all of whom are indigenous, and like the indigenous house workers like do not fuck with Blanca even like one percent. Like like they just be like looking at her like kind of like shade like they kind of like side eye her and like one of them like low-key left like a lizard in her food once and just like they just like just be like bullshitting with Blanca and they just like clearly don't fuck with her at all Blanca also finds them like expressionless and sort of annoying and it's kind of like it's sort of implied that there's like this fear there like she's like it's like she's uncomfortable but it almost feels like fearful more than uncomfortable that makes sense yeah she's like she's like creeped out but also doesn't really know why and hyper judgmental yeah so it's one of those things where it's like I mean, how's this weird? It's like there's definitely sort of like a racial tension and sort of like racial bias that's prevalent throughout the entire book. And so in this chapter, you just really see it a lot where Blanca's just like, you know, like all of her disparaging thoughts about indigenous people just like really kind of come to the forefront. Like at one point, she saw one of the houseworkers like wearing like French heels or she thought he was wearing heels and was like really creeped out about it. It was just, I don't know, it was just like kind of really weird. Meanwhile, the count is just like, kind of just out and about because like mind you like the count and blanca are getting checks from esteban Troeba. so like honestly like work is low-key optional as fuck so the count really just like kind of goes around like gambling and just like bullshitting and like kind of does these like random sort of like entrepreneurial feats um sort of similar to uncle marcos but like not really and like apparently like the count just like is really weird with money and like loki has niggas like lining up waiting for checks that he <laughs> you know like promised them and just like they just do not receive the, the bitches waiting in vain um mind you this entire time blanca's like pregnant as fuck with like um pedro tesero garcia's baby which john knows isn't his but like lo- again doesn't give a fuck um then john starts selling all of these like indigenous artifacts which is like mad illegal but like colonization so like no fucks given there. Right. Um, then to the point where this nigga starts collecting like mummies, like whole mummies, which apparently yeah. are like mad valuable on the black market, but like creep Blanca the fuck out because like in the house she can hear like these like moans and she kind of hears like, it almost sounds like a baby or like a toddler, like a, just like a small person just like running around like the hallways at night like she feels like the house is like haunted and she like blames the mummies for it and to be fair and to be fair if someone had brought mummies into my house i'm too african i also would be like (laughs) you need 
<laughs> to take the mummy out. <laughs> you can. must leave on this day. Like, not only are the mummies out, but bitch, you're out. Because yes. honestly, like, any bitch bringing mummies into my abode where I pay rent, no ma'am. Thank you. Have you lost your mind? Like, what the fuck? The fact that Blanca was like, she like, the slept in her house, like, that same day, I was like, oh no, see, the cultural differences because right? John would have had to go. Like, mm-hmm. that same page had been like, yeah, and Marcy kicked that nigga out. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> what happened. But, um, it would have been epilogue. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, the, the book would have ended right there. I, if I was in the house of the spirits child this book would have been 19 pages long but anyway basically so Blanca comes up with this whole scheme where she's gonna like catch John amidst like all the things because she figured that like she like there was something weird going on with the mummies and every time she tried to confront him about it he was like really evasive about it so one day when John's gone she breaks into so John has this like photography studio and you know she like speculates that the mummies are inside so she like breaks into the studio but rather than seeing mummies she sees all these like erotic pictures of like the indigenous house workers and these like various like sexual poses and like you know there was one picture where like there was like this one house worker that like Blanca in particular just did not like and like there was one picture with him like with his like dick out and apparently was like super hard and she was just like what am I even watching like it was all these like kind of orgy like pictures and Blanca was like freaked the fuck out so much so that while being mad pregnant she like ran through the desert to the train station and like went back to um the house of the spirits or you know they in the in the book they call it the big house on the corner so basically she goes back to her mama house and is like, this is wild. I cannot. Right. And I was like, okay, as much as this might be weird to open up a photography room and see all these pictures, I'm, I was like, this is what got you? Like out of all the out of all the things you've seen in your life, Blanca, didn't you like on to literally show up as a ghost into your house when you right. were a kid? I was like, this is it? I, I thought they were going to be like puppets or something, like moving puppets that were like alive by magic, but nah, it was just right. some photos. I was like, <laughs> Just yeah. sexual pictures. She was like, I can't, I cannot. And I was like, girl, yeah, really? I was like, this, this 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 really was it like i mean not not i mean no shade but like what right like i just like it just felt like that i just i didn't really feel like this like i don't know, I feel like other shit was like wilder than this but i'm right. this, whatever it's like i mean you do you i guess i mean so girl then- i guess but like what like anyway <laughs> right exactly so then <laughs> moving on <laughs> so then blanca's daughter is born back in the big house on the corner and they say she was born with her feet first so she will be lucky but i mean that doesn't really turn out to be that true so she's a solitary yeah. kid. <laughs> it really doesn't. But um, so she's like a solitary kid and she's quiet and mostly plays in the basement, the creepy basement that like has Barabbas's head. I mean, Barabbas is as a floor. Carpet, like a rug. Right. And her mother's head, her great grandmother's head in a box. Um, but she doesn't notice any of those things. So she's just playing around being a kid. And she kind of gets along with everyone. So Tereba likes her, which is actually very typical of sexist men to love their grandchildren um and like treat them specially as and be like you are a special girl unlike those other girls whom i hate and think are objects and she's close to clara and so um, we just really know how you feel about this nigga (laughs) Akko. like clear as day i got thoughts about him so then she realized that clara is like really important to the big house on the corner um sort of the magic of it she kind of sees that early on she's fascinated with him himmy himmy Jaime. Jaime? Jaime, my bad. She's fascinated with Jaime's profession and all the books he has around him and subject to Nicolas's teachings, of which he has many, but this time it's pain minimization. And so he teaches her this weird pain minimization thing that he learned on this irrelevant eat, pray, love trip to India. (laughs) Jesus. So so then Blanca eventually gets back with Pedro Tercero. 
Oh God! <laughs> but she refuses to ever move in with him and marry him because she's like, I don't want to abandon my privilege. I couldn't be a working class person. And you're like, but Tercero like a successful singer and Blanca, you have no money and also you have a child together and also you love each other. So I don't really see what the foothold is. But even <laughs> Alba points out, she's like thinking about it. I think my mom just didn't like him that much. And I was like, wow, Alba, like that's a read. Yeah. So th- <laughs> right. So then Esteban Garcia comes to ask Tresero. If you guys remember, Esteban Garcia was the one who led Tresero to Pedro. Oh my mm-hmm. God, he doesn't come to ask Tresero. He comes to ask um, Senior Esteban. He comes to ask Senior Esteban for a recommendation. Um, Treba. There you go. He goes. To, he comes to ask. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many thread names, and there's so many characters. So he comes mm-hmm. to ask Treba for to write him a recommendation to become a police officer. And Alba kind of meets him before that, and this really weird molesty rape scene almost happens. Yeah, it, it was getting real close. I was like, oh, I don't know about all this. But then Treba just shows up, and without questioning anything about this creepy situation, is like, yeah, I'll write your recommendation to become a police officer. So he does that. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, also, Clara dies because she was over it. Like, she yeah. was just literally was like, like, they were like, like, doctors were like, um, I think she just chose to die. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> she just like left them niggas. Um, yeah. I think she even, she plans it ahead of time. She gets all her clothes together. She gives them to people. She's like, mm-hmm. meh, I see this coming. Yeah. And everyone was like, you know, really distraught, except for Alba, because, you know, Clara reassured her that, you know, even in death, we're still going to be in touch. Like, I still love you. Like, like nothing will change, really. So basically, yeah, so Clara dies and they finally, so they bury her. And then they also, I guess, around this time, were like, oh, yeah, Nivea's head, which has like, just been in our basement for like years. Like, I guess we should bury that too, question mark. So that happens. Um, and yeah, so Alba throughout all of this was like, you know, just really calm. Um, and the thing is, like, when Clara left, I mean, it was kind of predictable, but like, shit just fell apart at the big house on the corner. Like, it was just a mess. Like, everyone just, because the thing is, like, it was described as having this, like, huge personality. There was always, like, a million people there. Like, you know, there was always a lot of, like, greenery and, like, life. But, like, I mean, people left. Like, the animals that were there left. Shit, the spirits were like, girl, we out. Like, it was just, like, nobody was sticking around. Like, the housekeep was just, like, non-existent. Like, this shit was just a mess. And even so much so to the point where, like, everyone in the family was just eating like chickpeas and like rice pudding because like all the like chefs and shit were just like not about it around the same time. Like Jaime and Nicolas, I kind of lost interest in like basically everything. Um, I mean, Nicholas did this whole like guru thing where he like, like was teaching people all these like different spiritual, I guess, teachings and like all about like, you know, was talking about like meditation and things like that. And then like had convinced Alba to shave her head which Esteban Treba was like, girl, what the actual fuck I think. Okay. So, this so correct me if I'm wrong, but at this point, didn't Nicholas leave the country? Like yeah. Esteban Trueba was so mad that he like ca- not Sent exiled him, to him America. but like low key something yeah. like that. And he said, "I'll pay for you for the rest of your life." And I think he like gets rich overseas. Yes, okay, because I remember later in the book, I was like, "Where the fuck is Nicholas?" Because <laughs> yeah. like I mean, shit gets real in the rest of the book, and I was like, "Where is this nigga?" <laughs> like, shit, it's going down. Anyway, yes, yeah, so I guess he leaves because. Esteban was like, done. Um, but before that happens, oh, this is oh this is the part where he really made him leave. Because basically, like, Nicolas did this whole thing with, like, you know, Alba shaved her head and Esteban blamed him for it. And then 
I guess Nicholas decided to do this like naked protest. And the thing is like Esteban Treba, if y'all remember, is a senator. And so everyone's like, oh my God, girl, look at Esteban's son, like naked in these streets, like bitch, ah, like everyone's like clowning him. And so to the point where Esteban literally is so angry that he like has a heart attack. So that's when he's like, I need you. I, 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 I just need you to leave. Like, please get the fuck out. So he leaves. Meanwhile, Alba sent to like an English school, um, but everyone thought she was like really weird. Granted, her environment was kind of weird, so it eh, makes sense. Honestly, girl, this is honestly the part of the book where like, I'm not sure if y'all watch Naruto like that, but like this was kind of like filler, honestly, like a bunch of just like random shit was happening that like, I mean, like, yeah, like I guess kind of like provides like context to the characters, but it's like a lot of just like we could like kind of bruise through these last couple parts because it's not like really that important. But basically, like Blanca around this time, like basically sort of like but almost like became a servant in her own house like she would like just kind of like clean up and stuff and like she kind of got really into like making these animal sculptures and like she would like work specifically with these like mongolian kids who had like disabilities um so they weren't mongolian i think they she was weren't? no i think she was just using a slur uh oh Oh, we gonna talk about that part because I was like, how do I say, how do I, how do I do who? Okay. Yeah. So Blanca is making these old like animal sculptures. Meanwhile, Esteban and Jaime decided to like, because Esteban, after Clara died, wanted, basically Esteban wanted Clara and Rosa's body, Rosa being Clara's older sister. uh, He wanted both of their bodies to be in the same sort of like mausoleum structure. And so he like steals Rosa's body with Jaime but in the process like Rosa's body which apparently looked the exact same as like the day when it you know when she died like just suddenly disintegrated um yeah so like that happens and then basically sort of the rest of the chapter is just like Esteban being like Esteban Treba being like really hysterical about like a political uprising like he was like you know really really conservative and like he kind of knew that like the left like sort of like the socialist party was like gaining traction in this in the in the country so he was like really nervous about that then he ends up going to this like brothel to meet up with um, Transito Soto, and like the brothel was like more pros- prosperous, I guess. And it, yeah. again, just a lot of events where I was like, "Girl, this is <laughs> none of this matters." Like, but anyway, yes. But I will say, um, it was really interesting because the brothel was then like a cooperative where everyone was paid equally. I mean, granted, it was racist stuff was still occurring in the text while I was reading it. And I was like, wow. But at the same time, they're like, oh, we're all equal equity share owners of this brothel. And yeah, it makes it easier for us to make income and be safe. And I was like, are the people on the margins actually living a fulfilling and egalitarian lifestyle? <laughs> That's crazy. And and also, you know, it was described as having, you know, it was a lot of female sex workers but there are also a lot of i think it was for the most part gay men that were also working at the brothel so it was kind of like this like yeah this like kind of collection of people who are otherwise sort of like stigmatized right sort of like in this collective together and like in even one of the um i guess like the i guess he's sort of like the host um was like this like I don't know what his ethnicity was, but like, was this black man? And like, you know, they, they, they made like a huge deal out of the fact that he was black. They were like, Oh, like we're so diverse. Like we have like a black person. And it's kind of like, I mean, I, I was like, I, I guess he's little... part of this. <laughs> too. Right. You know, I don't know. Like, just 
it feels like a little early in the history of the world for tokenism, but like that's fine. I mean, also, it's fine, <laughs> but like thanks, Tancito Soto. But anyway, um, right. Also, just to explain the Naruto reference, Naruto is an anime that started in 1999 and ran up into 2017, which was very well written and had a great animation, except for like a good four, 200 episodes, maybe. It's just complete filler that everyone who has watched it is like, why is this canon and why is this happening? <laughs> right. So basically we're saying, you know, two thirds of this book is a lot of nothing that we couldn't understand why it was all in here. But any case, moving on. So much similar to Naruto for anyone who's a fan, there's a time jump and 10 years into the future and Alba is now 18 <laughs> years old and in university and in love with Miguel, who, if you guys don't remember, is Amanda's younger brother. And she's kind of this like, performative social justice person but she's mostly just in love with miguel which fair but that means since she loves miguel and she's like low-key hanging out with these woke kids she can't really be telling them that her grandfather is esteban trueba because Mm -hmm. you know you don't want to get judged like that or thrown out of the group so then she miguel sebastian gomez who's this dope professor anna diaz who's this true queen and -hmm. all these other heroes (laughs) just like join this protest to demand worker rights in the streets they barrack down miguel takes control of the situation he's like rationing out food trying to keep people together but there gets to a point where they like have to use that bathroom and this kind of shows alba's class differentiation she just like doesn't want to use the bathroom outside and it looks at first so she starts bleeding and at first they're like oh yo you're having a period but then diaz anna diaz is like nah man she's bleeding bleeding that looks like she's i think she yeah. like because she like hurt herself by not like using the bathroom so like something internally so so she has to be taken home. So they take her out of the barracks with like a, a, a white flag and Miguel takes her out and um, Esteban Garcia, who is now like a military, the head of the military, is <laughs> or some high division of the military and probably he's, not the head. He's like in the, I think he's still in the police force, something like that. It's yeah. like, yeah. He's like a lieutenant or something. He's basically, mm-hmm. he's upgraded from like his low level of regular policeman, but he's not like top dog yet. Yeah. So he meets her outside and he's like, oh, well, looks like the little princess needs to go home back to her grandfather. And everyone's like, oh, what? Esteban Tere was your grandfather. And they're like, low-key mad about it and miguel is like (laughs) depressed (laughs) right miguel's like i never knew and you're like okay fine miguel i don't know how many albas you know but whatever so he's like defeated and then she's locked but whatever (laughs) so then uh esteran uh i mean garcia is figures he should take her home because he i mean he contemplates kidnapping her but he's like i guess i don't have that much power so Mm. then alba's sick for a few days and then she like recalls her 14th birthday when esteban garcia like forcibly kissed her and tried to choke her because i don't know why because that happened um so then miguel gets over alba's secret and they start you know like you know just doing what kids do but um he always reminds her that he's actually a leftist radical and he might join the mm-hmm. gorillas when the whole thing goes south. And you're like, at that time, you're like, as, like you're like, Miguel, like, chill, <laughs> chill on it. Like, <laughs> it's, it's good. And it turns out he's right in the end. But then Hamie and Alba, they're doing this like cute thing where they're both on the same side of this like socialist revolution. But Hamie's like, yo, you got to calm down with this. Like, you shouldn't be so extreme. Um, and it's this a cute uncle niece thing. Um, also, Hamie, like subplot is friends with the future president who they call the candidate Mm -hmm. and also reunites with amanda who also meets miguel again but she's suffering from a drug addiction and it's a whole subplot that again is taking up too much time (laughs) 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 and like never becomes relevant again like anyway 
Yeah, we we are we are trying our best, y'all. Oh my god. So the next chapter. So this is where shit kind of like picks up, and you're like, okay, girl, applaud, thank God. So basically, so the socialist party, which if y'all remember, Espantreba was like, oh my god, the socialist girl, like they're gonna win, and like niggas was like, oh my god, girl, calm down, bitch, it's not even that serious. They actually did win, um, and bitches were hype. So people were really living for the fact that the socialist won, and they were like, this is amazing. Alba's fake ass decides to like join the processions of people being like, yes, girl, revolution, like yes. Um, so this all happened, and so afterwards, a lot of the people who were sort of like upper middle class to sort of really wealthy start, you know, taking their shit, like you know, their like financial assets. And, like, leaving the country, like, people were just, like, kind of really nervous about what this all means because they're, like, oh, shit, like, workers have rights now and, like, students and, like, other people who, like, don't necessarily have this, like, economic leverage that we do. So, meanwhile, the conservatives, also led largely by Esteban Treba, start doing this whole, like, economic, like, sabotage where they, I think, literally buy out a lot of the, mar- like, the goods on the market. So, it's described as people, like you know, finally have enough money to, like, you know, go to the store and get what they want of old blah, but, like, literally the shelves are, like, empty because, like, people just decided to, like, buy out, like, essentially where people would normally, you know, go shopping and stuff like that. So it's, like, this weird economic period where it's, like, people have money, but they don't, they can't really spend their money because there's not enough goods mm-hmm. on the market to do so. Also, around the same time, a lot of the people who were sort of, like, accustomed to being leftist sort of like artists and activists um in particular pedro tercero end up working for the government like pedro tercero gets like a desk job and is like really sad about it he and blanca have this whole like falling out and like don't talk for two years but like whatever um anyway (laughs) yeah so all this happens right blanca decides to i guess start snatching items off the black market and like kind of keeping them for like no reason and then alba so the thing is like so alba is interesting because it's like she is really in love with Miguel. And so Miguel's all about like, you know, the people and like providing resources. And so like Alba ends up like stealing a lot of the goods from Blanca to give to Miguel who gives them to the girls. But it's like unclear if like Alba really gives a fuck or if it's just kind of like a, oh, like I'm down. Like I'm in love with Miguel. And like, you know, I don't know. I, uh, anyway, so this all happens. Esteban also, Esteban Treba at the same time, um, starts ordering a bunch of like weapons and Jaime and Alba actually steal a lot of them and like bury them in this like far off like mountain region. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like she definitely started off just in love with Miguel. But I think that's kind of, I think Alba's actually has the best character development of all the females, um, mm-hmm. which may or may not be intentional. We'll get to that in a second. But um. Yeah, I think even though she starts off like, eh, I'm not really into it. By the time she's like drilling holes in walls to get food mm-hmm. out and steal guns, I was like, all right, Alba, like, I see you. Like, Yeah, like, Alba was like low-key here for the people. I mean, gr- granted, in this whole family, like, Alba's really the only one who sort of demonstrated. I mean, I guess next, aside from Jaime, really the only one who sort of demonstrated like a... Let's get out here. Like, cause like Jaime, like he sort of, his activism honestly was largely through his profession. Like, you know, as by being a doctor, he was able to like provide affordable healthcare and things like that. Like that was kind of his angle. But Alba was, I guess, much more sort of like grassroots, like sort of like more like just out here, like in these streets, like doing shit for the girls. So anyway, so around this time where like Jaime and Alba steal Esteban Treba's weapons and like bury them, they like end up like, you know, chatting more. And like, it's kind of like, there's like these interesting, like, incestuous comments and kind of energy being exchanged between the two of them. Like Alba at one point was like, Oh girl, like if you weren't my uncle, like I would marry you, blah, blah, blah. And then like Jaime was like, girl, what? And then later on that night, Jaime was like having fantasies about being Miguel, which if y'all remember is the one that's in love with Alba. So it's just kind of like, girl, what the fuck 
is this but like whatever sis right because i can understand like a a child or a young girl like like you know like glorifying her older uncle who she thinks is so cool and wanting to marry someone like him which she kind of does because she's in love with miguel who's pretty much Amy, but like more extreme. Mm-hmm. Amy, I'm like, Amy, yours doesn't make a hundred percent sense to me, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, yeah, but we'll leave that where it stands because guess what? It doesn't matter in the story. Because again, it doesn't matter. But anyway, so like, yeah. oh Jesus. Okay. Anyway, so basically, after all this, they sort of do like a like a like a scene shift to like Tres Marias, and apparently, like, bitches organized and decide to like reclaim their time. And we're like, this is our land, like, fucking, you know, the patron, like, blah, blah, blah. So Esteban Treba catches wind of this and decides that he's going to take a machine gun and go to Tres Marias and do uh, something. But then it's basically unclear. when he shows up, he's, like, immediately captured and taken hostage. And, like, bitches kiki to, like, we're like, LOL, bitch, you actually tried. <laughs> like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> um, so this happens, right? So Esteban Treba is, like, taken hostage. And it, there's, like, this news coverage where people are like, oh, my God, the senator's taken hostage. Like, what do we do? Blanca decides to go save him with Lord Pedro Tercero, why. which I was kind of like, gr- like, I mean, the thing is, uh, we'll talk about this in the discussion section, but Esteban Trueba gets so many cookies in this book. It's actually infuriating. I it's, actually just like, the, I, anyway, Marcy, anyway, anyway. Marcy, you would think he was the Keebler elf. Like, that's how many cookies this man gets. And you're like, like this- <laughs> you've done nothing to deserve this. Like, hello. <laughs> Like his, like the Cookie Monster girl. Like I'm just like, bitch. What the fuck is this? Like, oh my god. Like, like Pillsbury Doughboy status. I'm like, wow. This nigga make cookies for days, girl. But anyway, so basically, Blanca's like, let me go save my dad with like Pedro Tercero Garcia. If y'all remember, is the same one who Esmantreba cut off three of his fingers. Like that same, that same one. She was like, oh, like we should like do something. And then like Alba joins along. And then in that process, Alba finds out that Pedro Tercero is her actual dad. And it was like super unceremonious. And they didn't really explore it. They were just like, because basically the scene was Blanca's with Alba, runs up to Pedro Tercero Garcia's like office. And it's like, you and our daughter need to like come yes. together and like save Esmantreba. So in saying that our daughter, like basically Alba was like, oh my God. And then the next scene, it was Alba was like, I can't believe this. But then like, basically she, she asks like Blanca, like, oh, like when were you going to tell me this? And then she was like, you know, some things are better like left undiscussed. And then they never talk about it again. Which is the most immigrant POC thing I've ever heard. And I was like, I mean, like that's fine. Like, yeah, I mean, sure, Blanca, but like what? But anyway. Right. So maybe openness in the family would help us to stop repeating mistakes, but whatever. Moving on. So basically, so they save Esteban Trueba and Tres Marias. Um, and then what else happened? Um, Alba starts working at a hospital, but like whatever. And then basically Luisa Mora. So if you remember, the Mora sisters were like these three sisters that were like BFFs with Clara. So after Espantreba saved and like taken back to like the capital, Luisa Mora shows up and is like, Alba's in danger, girl. Like you might want to like get her to go abroad. Like I just saw this premonition where like horrible things start to happen to her. Like this is really your chance to like protect her. But then Espan's like, why would I why would do i do that. that this is all magic and nonsense because niggas so so then <laughs> that's how that is <laughs> that is really that is how that 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 chapter ends. so then basically that's pretty much the end of the the fun or it wasn't fun but things shit hits the fan so the military stage a coup and basically goop the conservatives into thinking they they cared about them and like 
they're like, oh, just kidding, we don't. So then Hameen goes to the now president's palace. He doesn't know that they're about to like take over. It's actually, this is actually one of the saddest scenes. Um, so he goes and he's hanging out with the president who like is low-key a good guy. Like he's oh, probably yeah. the only good guy in the story. And so they're hanging out and then he's like, the Navy's been overtaken and they're in revolt. And Hameen's like, I mean, Hamey, I'm so sorry. Hamey's like, that's that's not that's not gonna happen here like that's not gonna happen but then the military walk in and he's like oh no so he the president's <laughs> like okay you guys go out first i'll go out last and he never sees the president again and then they take him to this like other place where they're keeping them imprisoned and this one guy that actually Hamey had had helped in the past or helped his mother in the past is kind of like trying to help him out he's like hey sit down for a second just when i call you like make sure you stand up and you think, okay, maybe, you know, Hamie's past of helping people is now going to be his redemption and he's going to get out of this. No, he um, is definitely killed unceremoniously by the military. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, meanwhile, Esteban is celebrating, unaware that his son is dead. And I was like, nah, we're not celebrating the fact that people are being taken political prisoner. Right. Because, you know, she has some sense. So then Miguel shows up and tells Alba that he's off to do that gorilla thing that he said he was going to do. And you're like, you know what, Miguel, you are a man of your word. So no one can take that from you. Correct. So then Esteban thinks <laughs> he's Esteban thinks he's going to have clout in this new government. He's like, yeah, everyone's going to want to listen to me. And uh, the military is like, you're old and we don't care what you think. And he's like, <laughs> for the first time in this whole miserable life and in the story, does he think maybe he screwed up? And right. maybe he was wrong. And you're like, 13 goddamn chapters in, and this right? motherfucker, the, for the first time, I was like, I might have been wrong. And I'm like, this is the, not when you punch Clara's teeth out. Right. Not when you raped Ponte Garcia. <clears throat> not when you did just. No. atrocity after tr- this this right. is the mo- okay just. i'm losing he's like i'm losing political clout this isn't right i was like wow 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 like wow like <laughs> cannot so then alba starts doing this cool dope thing where she paints her car with huge sunflowers which actually kind of seems like not the plan to do when there's a military coup and people are being made into political prisoners maybe Seems don't like a highlight. little conspicuous but like i mean whatever right like if it works it works question mark so she starts doing that and like but saving people so she would like get a drop-off location a pickup location and she would go grab some political prisoners and their families and then like or just an individual and she would take them to a specific place and like never see them again and part of her is doing it because she's like oh maybe one day it, it will be miguel and then part of her is just doing it because i think she just thinks it's the right thing to do so mm-hmm. then for like a moment it looks like things aren't falling apart like it looks like hey maybe this will help us develop there's no more trash in the street there's no more beggars probably because they've been put in jail and there's food except no one can afford it and the new political powers try to convince everyone that the president was awful when he was like low-key one of the sweetest people in the story mm-hmm. um so, yeah, but then everything, like, quickly falls apart. So then is like, I'm going to go back to Trace Maria for revenge on the peasants. <laughs> and you're like, Esteban, let it go. Literally happened. <laughs> let it this go. This happened. It's like, right. Like, why? So then he goes back and he's, like, yelling at everyone, taking their stuff. And so they're like, we're just going to leave. And so they leave. And then he's like, wait. He, like, come- burned everything to the yes, ground. Yes. And then they leave and he's like, come back. And they're like. No. <laughs> and he's 
like, I know I was too harsh and I shouldn't have yelled at them, but like they should just come back. And I was like, at this point, you are actually delusional. Like I actually don't understand. So oh yeah, it, it becomes very clear. He's like talking to Tresito Solo later, and he's like, but I just like hope they come back eventually and like forgive me. And she was like, uh huh. So it becomes <laughs> <laughs> it becomes clear that the military has like no intention of handing power back to the political parties, and so it's basically just a military state. Also, there's like an irrelevant subplot where like Blanca is hiding Pedro Tercero for like months on end and is finally like dad can you sneak us out of the country and so they do he does and they just move to Canada and then Blanca starts selling her like terrible creepy creature sculptures as indigenous art which is clearly not what it is and then you're like Blanca are you just a colonizer and it's like the answer is yes Okay, Blanca, did we learn nothing? Like, apparently not. So, like, you know. Like, literally nothing, but okay, sis. Um, so then, meanwhile, Alba starts, like, hiding people in the house and not telling anyone. And it's kind of cool because it, it's, like, Esteban's, like, oh, the rest of the house belong to Clara. I could hear the spirits moving. It's, like, nah, it's not spirits. <laughs> Alba's doing some revolutionary stuff by, like, hiding families in the corners and stuff. Mm. So then, though, this part happens... Oh, yeah, there's a cute re- reunion. Like, Miguel comes back and they're like, don't worry, we'll meet every couple of months. But then Alba gets um, captured in the middle of the night by the uh, military police who literally drag her out of her house. And Esteban's like, don't worry, like, they, they, don't worry, it'll be fine. But I think he, like, for the first time, gets, like, slapped across the face and, like, is told to sit down as his granddaughter no, is. Oh, no, no, they, they slapped Alba in the face because, you know... The this patriarchy. is just patriarchy <laughs> and clearly this yeah so they drag her out of the house and esteban's left sitting there being like how could this how could this happen to me i what i'm so shocked yeah because basically this nigga was relying on the fact that like oh like even if alba's low-key like a rebel like i mean i'm senator today about like no one's gonna suspect that like in my house people are being hidden and like things like that but the gag is like them bitches have been under surveillance for weeks and <laughs> so like they're ready to capture that ass for real so basically what happens next is, so it kind of goes into detail about what happens to Alba next. I, d- I don't want to necessarily go into all the detail because it's like really gruesome, honestly, a lot of the shit that happens to her. But basically she is taken to this, I guess, like not really kind of like a camp, like a, it's sort of, it's sort of like a concentration camp. It's more like, it's described almost more like a prison, I guess. But basically she's there and Esteban Garcia, of course, predictably is sort of the one in charge. And so Essentially, he keeps asking her, oh, you know, Alba, we know that you we know that you know that like Miguel's out here somewhere doing something. All we want you to do is just tell us like where he is. And then Alba, of course, is like, I'm not telling you bitches anything. Like every time they ask her a question, she's like, bitch, I want to go to the bathroom. Like she's just like <laughs> avoiding these bitches like left to right. So they just like torture her like relentlessly. Like just like like honestly, yeah, just it's like bad. indescribable shit happens to her to the point where it's like, like what kind of like who the fuck comes up with shit like this? But anyway, so basically she's like tortured constantly over it's it's almost implied to be it's kind of like i think it's like for like weeks like it's like a pretty long time and so during this whole process she reunites with ana diaz who again goddess and is sort of like a huge support for alba just throughout this like really horrible terrible period at one point and this is sort of like when alba was like the closest to death she had like been sent to this honestly it was kind of like a silence chamber it's described as being like this sort of like dark cave where there's not really like sound or light and people just kind of like lose like people just i mean they just like lose their minds like just being in that kind of isolation it's just like ridiculous and so basically like she's there and like she starts having these like visions of clara visiting her and like you know 
at first I was like, girl, I'm just trying to die. Like, honestly, like, it, like, let me get as close to death as possible. But then Clara rolls up and is like, but death is predictable. Like your job is to live and like, you know, move forward and do the things. And like to also mentally record everything that's happening so that one day you can kind of share the atrocities that took place like under this regime. And so that kind of gives Alba sort of like the energy to like live and try to like kind of get through this whole thing. Um, then there's like a cutaway to Esteban visiting Transito Soto, who now owns like a really successful hotel. That's, it's like, it's like brothel themed, but it's not a brothel, I guess. It's a love hotel, I would say. Like other, because she was like, now women sleep with people for free. And you're like, okay, fine. Sexual liberation is, yes, a thing. And then she's like, I don't need to provide prostitutes. I can just provide rooms. And you're like, okay, so you're a love hotel. Got it, got it. Right. So basically, Esteban's like, oh my God, Transito, please help me. Like, oh my God, like, please help me rescue Alba. Like, blah, 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 blah. So that's how that chapter ends. And then there's an epilogue. That's It's like maybe like 10 pages. It's fairly short. Esteban Trueba finally dies. Look at God. <laughs> I was like, this nigga is like still alive. God damn. So he finally dies. Thank you, Jesus. And, you know, throughout the entire time, um, Alba's like at his side. And it's kind of, and she sort of tells him all the things that happened to her. So like in a fit of revenge, um, at one point while she was at the prison, like Esteban Garcia actually cut off three of her fingers. If you remember, because like, Treba had cut off three of Tercero's fingers and promised Garcia, you know, a reward. Never got it. So basically his vengeance was to cut off three of Alba's fingers and send them to him. So it was like this weird, like, chess game where, like, Alba's, like, a piece of the game, I guess. Um, So she kind of tells him about that process and then how she later is, like, sent to this concentration camp for women. um, And Ana Diaz is there. But apparently the camp, you know, she's only there for a couple days. um, But it turns out to be really healing and sort of, like restorative for her and then later she's sort of like secretly taken to this neighborhood where this like short dark woman who they never bothered to give a name um <laughs> like sort of like right rescues her and then well no what happens in- so what happens is transito soto does like use her clout to save clara and so they put her in the back of a car and just drop her off somewhere right and, and she happens to be around this dark-skinned black woman who like comes out when she really didn't have to and is like yo hang out with me for a night and yeah i'll keep you safe so basically that happens. And so, yeah, so essentially Alba's with Esteban Trueba like during his last days of life. And so they decide to like kind of get the house together. They like clean the house, blah, blah, blah. Clara rolls up with the spirits and Esteban's allowed to like die peacefully. And like, you know, Barula said that he would die like a dog, but like he was reunited with his like late wife and his granddaughter. And like, it's all happy. And he's able to like die serene. Uh, we're like so happy. Oh my God, thank God. Ugh. Because, of course, Esteban Trueba is the one who's, like, suffered the most in this book. Oh, my God. Thank you. Like, look at justice. Like, this nigga gets to die peacefully. Great. Anyway. So, basically, after that, Alba kind of talks about how she is using Clara. So, Clara, throughout the entire book, um, was basically documenting everything. And so, basically, Alba's talking about how, you know, sort of her role in everything is just to, like, forgive Esteban Garcia and to kind of, like, discontinue this, like, cycle of hate. And that her job is basically to just, like wait for Miguel to eventually arrive when, I mean, his schedule is capricious at best, but I mean, I guess. And then she's also pregnant now and it's unclear if it's the product of like, you know, the sexual assaults that she experienced while she was kidnapped or if it's Miguel's child. And then she talks about how like, she like starts reading like Clara's books again. And basically one of Clara's, the first note that Clara ever made when she was a child was like, Barabas came to us by sea. And so Alba regales that. And then that's the book. And then the book is over. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a. (laughs) Yeah, so that's 
la casa de los espíritus. So, 488 pages later, we're here. We should take a break. And then when we get back, we can talk about all of our feelings and thoughts. Yes, let's take a quick break. Yes. And we're back. Yes. So I would like to take a moment to one, I mean, just thank anyone that is like still listening. Cause yeah, like that plot summary was long as shit because this book is long as shit. And I'm sure that y'all noticed at multiple points in the summary, there were like our tone was a little shady, a little, you know, like <laughs> kinda a little shady. Um, right, right. And the thing is, it's not it's not because the book is long or anything like that. Because I know in the last episode we were talking about like, you know, we sort of had some reservations about the book, but we were like going to kind of wait it out to the end. But I think that like, I don't know, I, I really struggled getting through this book for a lot of different reasons. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of them is, a lot, a lot of the reasons are, you know, sort of valid points of, to, you know, to have a discussion around. But um, I don't know, I think also a lot of it too is just like things that really can't be, maybe just more sort of a critique of the writer herself but I guess for me sort of why I like was like oh my god girl eye roll for like a lot of this the last half of this book was just that like I don't know like it just felt I mean on a writing tip it felt like sort of like we sort of alluded to it felt like just a lot of the details were just sort of like gratuitous like there were just so many like subplots and like things that were like hinted to and sort of like elaborated on but like not really that important like even for example the whole thing with like Jaime and Alba and there's like this weird like sexual tension it was just kind of like and we move on it was just kind of like okay but like what was the point of that whole passage where they like went to the like it, it just felt like so in general the way the book is written right it's it, it, it honestly feels more like a screenplay than a book in a lot of ways because like everything is just sort of like described and there's a lot of time jumps and things are just like they feel less like you're seeing things from like the characters' perspectives and more this like this like this role that just like it's kind of like re like regaling all these like events that you know that tend to happen, and so sometimes that was broken by like dialogue or like kind of like a further elaboration on like a trend. So if they said something like, for example, you know, Alba started to like rescue these people during the revolution, that would just kind of be like a sentence and would just kind of keep going. But then maybe they might include a, a passage about like you know a very specific person that she had saved. So it just seemed like a lot of the things that were elaborated on in these like random sort of like and these trends that happened among people were just kind of like yeah, just like there to provide some more detail and like sure I guess it kind of adds some texture to the characters but ultimately it just kind of like it didn't really seem like there was a lot of payoff for a lot of things like in you know and the thing is like there was a lot of cyclical trends you know like you know for example um you know Nicholas kind of having some of the characteristics of like great uncle Marcos and like Alba is described as having like green hair kind of like Rosa the beautiful it's like things repeat but again it's just kind of like I feel like for a motif for that to be really effective, you just have to like, I don't know, there has to be sort of a value and like a weight given to the characters that like mm. makes it worthwhile. Because, it, but in this book, it just felt like when you have such a circular cast of characters, it's like niggas just die and then new bitches show up and then like, you know, bitches leave for 200 pages and then just like randomly come back. It's just like, it just seems like, what was infuriating was that like Esteban Torreba was the only real consistent character and was like the most despicable bitch in the fucking book. And it was just one of those things where it's like, I, I don't know. It just felt like, like when people died or like when things happened, it's like, yeah, you will. I don't, I just didn't really, I just didn't really care. I just, I, I, I just didn't care. I just did not 
care <laughs> that much. It was just like, and, and and I don't know if it's just because of like my own my own personal things, but it was just like. I don't know, I guess the book was just crafted in a way that, like, despite having so much gratuitous detail and all these, like, emphasis on backstories, I don't know, it just wasn't in a way that made you feel for the characters. It just kind of made it feel sort of, like, laborious and, like, this book could have been 200 pages shorter. That's on it. Like, literally the last half of the book, I was like, girl, like... Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Like, I, I agree. mean, I'm like, I guess, sure, Amanda, like, has this drug problem, but, like, does that become a thing? Oh, it's never really brought up again? Great. You know, like, it's just like, what? Like, I don't know. It's just so many things where it's just like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I just, I just, yes. I think that it's, it's, it's what you're saying exactly, and in, in that it's, we, this is a trope. This is a literary trope, and we've seen in A Thousand Years of Solitude where you, basically write about people's lives and and you use that to be like this is a family i'm writing about a family writing the history of a family and that's a trope that's used in literature a lot to explain like no you can't start from the revolution to explain how it got there you have to start all the way back but the problem with this book is that it doesn't you you don't it's not a crescendo. It starts crescendoing maybe at chapter 12, 13. Mm-hmm. But before that, there is no like slowly ramping up tension. It just feels like nothing <laughs> is happening. Right. And, um, and yeah, exactly. So these details come in it, and it's not enough to, it, it's not enough to make you feel for the characters. And while sometimes her sort of throwing something to the side is really effective, especially when she's talking about something that's very serious or really is, is really poignant. Like I remember she has one quote where she says, like the police gave her back, gave Alba back her money because the military is like, want to give you back useless things or follow useless rules. And it's, like, very sharp and very striking, but it's also a throwaway line. That's a mm. very effective use of literature and and that's sort of her style. But other times, you're like, no, actually, I would have liked to know what happened there. <laughs> I would have liked to know what happened to, say, this and this person. And I mm-hmm. didn't actually need to know that Nicholas went to India on a trip to learn how to become an odd Buddhist priest <laughs> colonizer. Like, that actually didn't... That didn't have any payoff so i think that's the issue and then i also think the other issue is as much well as much as she is focusing on the ways that violence domestic violence and and sexism and the patriarchy starts in the house and then is reflected in society as a whole Mm -hmm. there's still she's still the focus of the story is still this middle to upper class woman and Mm -hmm. so you're almost like i want to follow and listen to you but i also kind of want to know more about pancho garcia you know or or like Mm -hmm. there's so many things that you guys like do wrong that i like don't want to sit here and have to think about you as as the um the good guys the whole time. Like, that's why when Alba's over here, like, well, you know, you got to forgive my grandfather. It's to me the same way when someone's like, well, my racist grandfather is racist, but I still love him. And I'm like, mm. that's irrelevant to me. And I don't know why you want me to spend so much time caring about the fact that your family members are inhumane. And I think that's something that almost forces you to do this in this book. And maybe I would have been more open to that in the eighties mm-hmm. <laughs> when this was written. But I think now in my life, I'm like, well, Alba, check your racist grandfather, <laughs> check your conservative grandfather who's hiding right. guns in his basement. Right. And it's, 
And I think also too, what I struggle with is just like, and again, this might just be, you know, the zeitgeist has shifted since the eighties and sort of like how we discuss justice and things like that. Like that has changed, but it's, I don't know. I feel like it's one, (laughs) this would be effective if like, you know, maybe like if the point of this was to show, okay, this is like an upper middle class family. Like they, I mean, really just like these niggas is rich as fuck. Like, okay, this is, there's this rich family that like technically doesn't really have a social incentive to like change their ways, but they're like, you know, coming together and learning more about like what's going on around them. And like, you know, sort of like getting involved in like local movements and like leveraging their power for the better. You know, it's like, if it was a story about like a shift in ideology and then sort of like, and like an activist response, then like, that would kind of make sense. But even in that, it seems kind of selective. Like, e- like I mean, yeah, like you said, I, I think Alba, I agree. I think Alba does have the most character development. She does sort of start off as like, you know, sort of like, I mean, she was always like a kind of precocious child and like sort of wise, sort of beyond her years. Um, And, you know, her emerging social ideology did sort of stem from a boy, but then kind of like became something that could sort of exist in itself. But... I don't know. It just, it seems like here and there, like for example, Blanca's really fickle and like kind of like in and out when she wants to, like, I feel like her, like, for example, I think it's symbolic, her relationship with Pedro Tercero, because I think in a lot of ways to be with him represents the sort of like, you know, exchange of privilege. Like, you know, Blanca would have to kind of give up a lot economically to be with him. Um, and for her, it's just sort of easier to, you know, just sort of remain in her station life, even if that station everyone knows is not like not really the best one. It just kind of feels like, I don't know, I guess like it even too, I just feel like, again, maybe it's just like, you know, the times or whatever, but I just feel, I feel like a lot of the characterization is lazy, if I'm being honest, like these were, you know, the love triangle with yeah. like Jaime and Amanda, like girl, did we like... I mean, I get it. Oh, Trim Brothers and like they're in love with the same person. You know, like it's just like, okay, girl, right. I guess. And it and shows then, like, like two different people, but they're technically the same. Like we get it. Right. Yeah. Or like even like with with Alba, it's like, you know, it's like, yes, like that's great. She like found Miguel and whatever. But it just seemed like like when they inserted that piece at the end with like her relationship with like Ana Diaz and like kind of that healingness there or like this like random dark skinned woman that like was there for a page. Like, you know, it's like, I just feel like there's other ways, like not saying that, yes. okay, I'm not saying that characters can't be in love and that they can't like that romance can't inform their ideology. I'm not saying that I'm not against that, but it's just like when someone's motivations, especially for women is like only motivated by like their love for like a man. It just is, it's, it's annoying (laughs) like like, i'm just it's irritating when that's like the only option presented i just feel like for a lot of i mean maybe like the only exception really here would be clara maybe but even then clara kind of like is described as having this like you know when esteban treba comes back like she's sort of like you know there's tension at first but then she kind of gets over it and then they sort of become close again it's just it just seems like i don't know i just it's frustrating to see because even at the very beginning of the book, you know, the book is a lot of way dedicated to, you know, or rather, I'll reference this instead. At the very end of the book, actually, I remember there, were, there was a passage specifically talking about how, like, Alba knew that the days of this, like, military regime would be over soon because of, like, the brave women of the, you know, like, brave women, like, the ones she encountered at the concentration camp, right? And it's just one of those things where it's like, yes, like women are integral to like these movements and like, you know, like shifting what's going on. But at the same time, it just feels like even when that's the, it's like, it's like that lesson falls flat when like the women that are characterized the most are sort of characterizing these ways that are like, for the most part, just kind of, yeah, exactly. just kind of lazy. It's exactly. sort of like, 
It's just inconsistent. It just feels like they can't exist outside of these relationships that they have with these men who honestly, when you do the inverse, like their motivations are not these women that they encounter or are in love with. Like Miguel, like is a gorilla because he's like, that's just what he wants to do. Or like, you know, Esmantreba like wants to become a senator because yeah, you know, it's just like, it's like they, they're allowed to have multiplicity in a way that just like isn't afforded to the women in this book, which I just find really inconsistent and annoying. I just, it just, it, it, and it makes me, it makes it hard to, I, I feel like some of the themes fall flat for me when you look at that parody, I guess. And I also so. think, I, I think that magical, you have to ask yourself when you're writing something, how much space you're giving to things, especially when you're writing a fantasy, because when you take things out of their context, you're essentially saying that they're universally true. Mm. So when you take Blanca and Clara out of a country and a time and a place and a culture, you're almost like being like, this is what women do. And this is what women are. And maybe it shouldn't be that way, but that's the point of fantasy is to sort of be imaginative and go and do some, or be imaginative or at least speak to the soul of people. And I don't think this story really speaks to the soul of women. It speaks to the social construction of women, except Mm -hmm. at the very end where we're talking about Ana Diaz and, and Alba. But then at that point, they only gets a chapter or two. And I'm like, why would you give so much time to the other stuff and so little time to this? Like exactly. And and I think that's what the frustrating part comes from because uh, I, I understand that Esteban is a is a phenomenon and it's true that his and, and I do I will give her credit for that like she does very well explain how the failures in character of individuals and the patriarchy honestly and toxic masculinity trickles down through our society which you can see in things like dictatorships and slavery and all sorts of you know it's 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 societal ills this sort of toxicity of ownership which is ownership of not just of, of women of races of etc it becomes a sort of plague but while that's done so beautifully like well it's done well enough <laughs> um it just the rest of it is too much and there's also just too much a rate they talk about they say racist things and in no oh way god. address <laughs> oh my god can we it's, please talk about yes. it that's really oh my god <laughs> it's very frustrating because it would be one thing to because uh, at least when it comes to sexism um and patriarchy in this story you get that at some point they're trying to say that they in fact explicitly say that this is not how things are supposed to be when it comes to race that is not said but the not ex- at all at all but the amount of racially charged just blatantly there's a point where i called marcy on the phone and i was like i don't know if we can finish this book because (laughs) she calls this group of people one more like derogatory term in the 80s (laughs) i might have to call someone Mm -hmm. um and it's never dissected it's never it's never explained it's never fit into the narrative you know it's never done nothing's done with it so it almost like it's like again taking it out of the culture and the time and saying this is just an objective thing when it's not exactly exactly and it's just like and the racial component of this book is just so undeniable like and 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 i think it's not to say that it didn't exist before right like it was definitely prevalent throughout the entire book but like for example i mean come on that whole chapter with like blanca and like john de satigny and like you know all these like indigenous house workers that they had it was just one of those things where it was like one, I mean, 
Come on. We got a million characters in this book. And y'all Thank you. y'all didn't feel the need to like the only really honestly, the only like I I'm not sure what Esteban Garcia's racial identity is, but he's described as having like dark skin and eyes like a rodent. So he literally is like looks like like it's described like, kind of described in this animalistic way. He's from Tres Marias, so you assume that he sort of has I would assume that like he might have some sort of like indigenous racial identity. But even then, it's like he's the only one that's really given more detail. I mean, I guess you can kind of say Pedro Segundo is kind of giving more detail. But even then, it's sort of like through the assistant sort of role that he has with um, Esteban Treba. It just feels like people of color in this book are just sort of given like a short stick. And then on top of that, I mean, in the book, like in the in the chapter with Blanca and um, John de Satigny, I remember there was a passage where I literally like I actually had to put the book down because I was like, I'm literally going to throw this out the fucking window. Like, this is actually wild. Like, basically the part right before Blanca went to go check out that room to see if there were, like, mummies inside, she went to talk to... Let me find it. Let me actually... Let me find it. Because I don't want to... I don't want to misquote it. And, girl, y'all got to... Re- y'all got to... Check this shit out, bruh. So, basically, this is right after... So, this is essentially describing the passage where, um, you know, John just, like, left the house and Blanca wants to enlist one of the house workers to kind of, like, help her, like, open the door to his photography room. So, it reads... When John went out, she called the high-heeled Indian and for the first time gave him an order. Go to the city and buy me some candied papaya, she told him brusquely. The Indian set off at the slow trot typical of his race. And I was like, I, 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 like I just, like there's no, and the sentence just continues to say, and she remained in the house with the other servants whom she feared far less than that strange individual with the courtly inclinations. And it was just like, why? again there's no like that's just it like they just like the book just says shit like that and you're just like i don't know if this is like supposed to be like a parody like i don't know like i don't know what your intentions are here it's mm-hmm. like you can't like it's like that whole ironic racism thing right when people are like oh like it's like when you're so garishly offensive that it's almost like commentary that it's like oh like it's like so obscene and in your face that like you can't take it seriously it's like a commentary like on racism and it's just like okay but again you're just being racist it's like you can't say things like that but also like a commentary for who hello like and also again being conscious of the fact that we're finite beings and only have so much of existence how much space are we really giving to the continuous like conversation about how absurd racism is when it hasn't in any way been like dampened or or gotten rid of you know what i mean like right why are we giving so much space and time to this commentary as if this absurd thing isn't happening all the time iteratively and that you're just perpetuating it by giving these like so-called satirical ah it's very frustrating and i don't think she ever fix i don't think she ever gives any space to changing it or giving it any sort of commentary she doesn't do anything with it right (laughs) it's there right and that's the and and again it's just i don't know and i mean even when we talked about yeah like at the brothel the guy that you know the black guy who worked there and they were like tansita was like look at us we're so diverse girl it was just kind of like this is like i just hate this i just really i just it makes me it, it it points honestly to in like perhaps like on a more insidious and perhaps I'm making it more severe than it needs to be and making it overly austere. But like 
I don't know. It's just like, wow, even in this realm of like magical realism, we're like in a world where Clara can like lift out of chairs and like call the spirits and like after death, people see Clara and no one bats an eyelash because it's just normal to see Clara. You know, yeah, like race these, is still abs- more absurd. Racism still is yeah. here. Like it's so embedded in the human psyche that even when we intentionally try to show a world in which like anything is possible, this thing still has to be there. Yeah. And it's just like, what? Ew. Why? It's just yeah. like it just it's so upsetting and you're like, oh like oh my god. <laughs> like it's and just, also it just feels like it just feels like then so these this isn't written for me. Like you know what I mean? Like right. this is not written with my humanity in mind. And then you, you realize there are so many novels not written for our humanity in mind and it it breaks your heart, you know. It really does. And you're just like this really was and I don't know, it's like and I know that this book has a lot of mixed reviews and I, I haven't really dove into i guess what the criticisms are but like i don't know i just feel like i don't think those are the chris i i don't think those are the criticisms to be honest with you i don't think really? what we're, no i think their criticisms are like a woman wrote a book and they're like kind of mm. mad about it and they're like she's not as good as as um this isn't as good as a thousand years of solitude and you're like yeah okay but i do think it does a decently better job at talking about women in these situations saying specifically how women are affected by you know, military coups and overthrow. Now it's mm-hmm. talking about a specific class and race of women, but that to be, I, what my biggest takeaway from this book, to be honest with you was almost like <laughs> when a coup have, or even like when a coup happens or when shit really hits the fan, it doesn't really matter what class of woman you are. Things are going to go poorly for you, right. which, which is only iterative when we think of intersectionality, correct? Mm-hmm. And that's, only footnoted in this book and so you're like yeah you did a really good job spotlighting that middle class and upper class women will suffer at the hands of the patriarchy but Pancha garcia suffered so badly and her only footnote is that she made esteban garcia hate everyone and like that's right. all we have to say about her no we give her no humanity i mean alba does at the end throws her like a little bone but even that feels like nothing it feels like nothing right and even like i mean when esteban burns tres marias to the like literally that scene was so gruesome he rolls up with a machine gun shoots all of their animals burns all of their houses burns their livestock burns everything and just like they just have to walk on the highway along the highway and just figure it out because if they stay if they stay they'll be killed if they go to his place they'll be killed so they're like i guess i just have to like be homeless and just figure this out and like all of that is just like a plot motif to show that like, oh my God, Esteban Treba feels bad. And he feels like he like is a father that like punished his kids too hard. And it's just like. And it is supposed to show that Esteban, it is like, it is very well showing the, um, the mental like cognitive dissonance that like people who are this sexist and racist have. But again, why do we have to listen to him so much? Like, why are we focusing on him? And why does he have a redemption arc? Right. Like, and that's the thing. It's like, and like, that was never brought up again. There was never like, oh, like, and literally in the epilogue, they're like, oh yeah, Clara came back and he died peacefully. And like, you know, before he died, like Clara would sleep next to him and blah, blah, blah. It just felt like, again. It gets everything. It's just like, this nigga gets everything. These people in Tres Marias who are like still homeless and walking along the ho- like the fucking highway and probably died along the way, like never brought up again. You know, it's like it's like 
the, the most ad, like disadvantaged people are just brought up as these like plot points or this like narrative yeah. piece so that like to show the humanity of like this annoying privileged yes. bitch and it's just like and at the end i just could not help but feel again if it's, it's like if we're going to be talking about like 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 feminism and like all these like powerful themes it just seems kind of like weird it seems weird to me that like clara and alba and all those other people i get it sure he's really he was your, like you know he's your grandfather he was your husband like there is that there but again it's just kind of like why it's like why do y'all have all the social commentary for the world at large but right. then in your own personal lives, you like endorse a man like this. That <laughs> doesn't make any point. sense to me. That's I'm like, how point. do you like, how do you do that? How do you say like, oh, like I'm here for the girls. And I'm going like, to help people find asylum and like, you know, join Miguel and the rebels. But, but like you hugging up on your grandpa and like, just ain't got, you know, like, it's just like, yeah, uh, I agree with you. It just seems like a betrayal of even their own ideology. That's the yeah. part that doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, it's like you, you build up this whole thing of like, oh, like, Alba's about it but then like it just crumbles at the end because she's like my role is just to wait for Miguel and have this baby and just accept and I think and this I'm just is, like yeah I, I don't I, I don't like I don't like this it's just yeah. I don't know I just it's a feminism that lacks intersectionality and it also just you so you're taking advantage of all the privileges of your class while not having to think of you know what i mean you just it's almost like that scene where alba they like everyone stops the protest so alba can go home and you're like okay if anna diaz started bleeding like out of her mm. body they weren't gonna know who was gonna come get her and no one and it's almost like the story is like but of course they had to go save alba it's not an of course that's a woman of a certain class gets an of course she should be protected Mm-hmm. intersection women with intersectionalities do not get that of course and i think that's what the story is drastically and like devastatingly missing yeah and it's and that's the thing and i guess for me it's just one of those things where it's not to say that i i'm not gonna preface my opinions anymore i i had a hard time reading this book i didn't really particularly like this book but is it, there were themes that came up in it that i thought were powerful and interesting and i think kind of gave us something to think about but again i think just for me like the the social inequities that are just sort of framed as normal that are just sort of framed as like a rational progression of events and that like still exist in this world and like aren't really commented Mm. on or like critiqued i just it makes everything else fall Fall flat flat. especially when like the theme of it was to sort of talk about revolution which also if i'm being honest like seemed kind of abrupt it just sort of seemed like oh and the socialist one it was like kind of this brewing thing but like you didn't really get to see the i don't know it just felt like kind of like there was like this build-up sort of but like rather than building it up let's just like talk about nicholas going to india for like 20 pages <laughs> you right. know like, and then, like all of a sudden it's like the socialist win and like economic sabotage but it's just kind of like this didn't really have a lot of impact because it just kind of like it wanted happened. The book, <laughs> I don't know. It's the just, book. I think the book got to the end and wanted to be deep, deeper I think than that's it. really what it was. <laughs> that's kind of it. A really, read, the last three chapters read very differently from like yeah. the five preceding. They were also written better. I think. I agree. Actually, they were very interesting. I will say though, this book did freak me out in its parallels to like our curtain our current political situation, like just things that like we would like. They were like we would like to see this government, the socialist government, like fall like mm-hmm. all means by any means necessary 
despite the fact that the president was a good president and the people were kind of happy. And if you had just kept your money in the country and hadn't taken it all out and hadn't like actively sabotaged the economy, right. people could have been happy. And there was a point there, like they said, they would rather the country fall apart than I be president. And when you sit in America knowing that people would rather protect some just egregious behavior than let people have higher wages or you know like health care right <laughs> you just start it makes you tremble and then the fact that Esteban Thereba has such a characteristic about him that you see in sort of in political congressmen and other political figures today of just this sort of me I I am everything. Everything is about me. And this whole thing is about my vengeance and and how I feel and whether right. or not someone slighted me. And I can take down the whole country. And the only time it's anything is ever wrong is if someone takes my kid or my right. granddaughter. And you're like, that, I think that, if I if I hadn't lived in the time I lived now, would have been like, what the hell? Like Esteban Tuerba doesn't make any sense. But then living the time I live now, I'm like, oh crap. This mm. is the truth. Like this is how this is this selfishness, this almost privileged sense of I am the world is exactly what gets us all <laughs> in trouble. Exactly. Um, we're like the victims of other people's just narcissism. It, so that did hit home with me. So I will give mm. you that. No, that's um yeah, that's yeah, the the political parallels are just I I will say that those depictions were kind of like, yeah, this is this is some real shit. Like it's like I can I can almost appreciate it's like it's like Esmon is in a lot of ways framed as like this kind of like unreasonable and like kind of ridiculous character, but like which it is, like these characters just are ridiculous, but at the same time, like you do see that shit a lot. Like yeah. this kind of like myopic only when things affect me do they become important, like, whatever. I mean, even in the in the city, like, I remember during the revolution, like, there were all these, like, slums and, like, just, you know, where all these, like, prisons were held and stuff. The city literally just built walls. Right. <laughs> you just didn't have to see them. And then they did this, like, aggressive, like, beautification process where it, like, looked like, oh, I don't know, it's like this, like, almost, like, sort of palatial landscape. And then all of a sudden, it's just, like, when you go behind the walls, you see, like, what it really is. It's just, like, mm. yeah, like, that really is kind of how people, it's, like, if you just have the shutters on, you don't really have to acknowledge it. Like yeah. when people were being kidnapped and you can hear them screaming and their fires bursting everywhere. If you just stay in your bed and just not really think about it, doesn't really matter. You know, it's just like, that's just, it was, it, I, I felt like that, that part was kind of like, okay, this is like an interesting sort of like, th like I, I, there's a thing happening here. This is, right. this, okay. This is, this is cute. And and you can, you can like kind of see the parallel of Esteban Tereba treating his the people at Trace Maria so poorly. And there is like a small amount of like, this is escalating. But again, again, that is a brilliant story that was covered up by the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. By Blanca and her weird creatures and, and whatever else anyone's ever doing. Nicholas and <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and I would have loved to see that story because one, it would have been shorter. And two, I think it would have read more, it, it would have read better. It would have been more, you know, congruent. But that's not what we got, so. And, and the thing is, I mean, I'm not saying that Esteban Garcia is, like, in any way, like, that bitch. Like, literally, fuck Esteban Garcia. Like, he is the worst. But I do think it is interesting to explore the idea of, like, vengeance. You know, like, it's like, 
You have this person mm. that's from this community that's been so oppressed by this person. This one person has made their lives miserable. And I mean, sure, he's engaging in this like patriarchal game of tennis where like Blanca's the ball, but like, I mean, I mean, not Blanca, Alba's like the ball, but like, it's just like, I don't know. It's like on removing sort of like what he did specifically, I guess, from the, from the table and like just so like that progression, right? Of like, you oppress the community, they clap back twice as hard. It's like, and then like the shock that Esteban Thoreau experienced, he was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe my granddaughter. It's like, of These course, are pissed. Like, right. It was, it was, it was kind of simply. It, it actually reminded me of fifth season a little bit, like that idea of like you know with the origins. It's like niggas oppress the origins, and then when the world ends, they're like, "Oh my god, girl, I can't believe the origins ended the world." It was like my nigga, like come <laughs> on, <laughs> bitch. Right? Can you open your fucking eyes and like just look at what you're doing to people? Like this is ridiculous. Like so, it it, it does make me think about this idea of vengeance and also framing. Right? It's like mm. if you because it's like. When you look at it in like from the perspective of of the Albas or the Esteban, you know the Esteban Trebas and stuff like that, yes, Esteban Garcia is horrible. And granted, objectively, Esteban Garcia is horrible. However, but Esteban Treba raped a bunch of people too. Like and yes, and, and to to be clear, he raped them in times of not war. Like yeah. just to be clear, and that was supposed to be the best time in society. That was supposed to be the civilized quote unquote time when things were running well. Right. So you're like. You mean to tell me that under the guise of like, was there ever peace then? You know, it's the same way where people talk about the fact that in the 50s, copious amounts from slavery on copious amounts of black women were raped in these supposedly great times. So what is that? So, you know, it's exactly what you're saying, Marcy. It's a it's a matter of framing. What if you turn the lens and made all of that? This the military coup, quote unquote, at the end. right? Right. That violence. The fact that he like beat up. Pedro Tessier in front of his father. That sounds like the same thing of torturing people. You know what I mean? Like, right. Anyway. And the fact that in, in a lot of those depictions, it's like, it's like, it's kind of written in this way where it's like, it's not to say that like it's being endorsed, but it is being sort of like glossed over. There right. is sort of the sympathy that yeah. comes along with it. It's like, like Esteban's oh, allowed that's to what like, they did back then. Right. He's allowed to like grow and become, you know, and learn, I guess. But even then doesn't really learn that much because he just is an asshole but- for the rest <laughs> of his fucking life. But like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, but but I think it would might have been interesting also just to sort of explore Esteban Garcia just from the perspective of Esteban Garcia. How do you become that kind of motherfucker that like mm. does heinous shit like this? Like that would have been such an interesting exploration of like, okay, Sure, we 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 aren't really caving for the indigenous girls, but like, can we just give this one like right. some kind of like <laughs> piece where you just like? Because the thing is, like, because again, it's lazy to just be like, Esmeralda Garcia is just evil. It's like, I mean, yes, he's evil, but like, why is he evil? Right? Like, it's like, why does he treat people like this? Who did he learn this from? Right? right. Like, it's just like this didn't happen in isolation. He just wasn't like created evil. He like has models of this kind of violence that he saw perpetuates, you know, that grants power, that grants, like, this sort of, like, I guess, not really respect, but just fear from people, which kind yeah. of can feel, like, respect if you're coming from it from that angle, but it's just one of those things where it's, like, I, I, I yeah, I feel like that would have been such an interesting exploration, too. It's, like, why is it, why is it that when Esteban Treba does horrible-ass things, literally burns Tres Marias to the ground, he dies peacefully next to Clara right. and Right? It's just, like, this is, like, like, Ew! <laughs> just I don't know. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I just I don't know. It's one of those things where I like I just find it, it. It like literally I like I like felt ill when I finished this book because I was like I just I don't like it. I just feel like there were so many missed opportunities. I feel like this could yeah. have been such a more compelling 
story and I there was agree. just so much filler and so much focus from from the perspectives of people who were honestly in my opinion kind of interchangeable no shade <laughs> i don't know it just it was kind of like i just like don't fucking care about blanca and this like love triangle <laughs> like i don't i don't care i just don't Care. And again, we have to remember that the author decided to write Esteban Garcia the way she did. Like, and right. it goes back to your point about uh, lazy writing is, uh, uh, yeah, but like kind of uh, relying on stereotypes. You needed a villain, and this is how you make a villain, and you didn't dissect it at all. And you use these sort of stereotypes in a lot of ways with a lot of different groups of people to sort of like push, like, um, support the rest of your story and you're like okay so you're just kind of perpetuating in fantasy and literature the same inequalities that exist in society and you want me to read the book question mark i only have right. so long <laughs> in life you know <laughs> so i don't know and i i guess one thing that I, I i do think this is a kind of an interesting point but like i don't know like i guess with esban about the only i guess like positive thing here or i guess sort of like silver lining i guess does it kind of, it does kind of make you wonder like, does he deserve redemption? Like, what does redemption look like? Like, at what point is redemption like a like a worthwhile pursuit? And like, at what point? Like, when is it? Like, when have you just done something so egregious <laughs> that you were just like, it's just off the fucking table, girl? Like, it, like you know, I don't know. It, it made me kind of think about like, I'm so like just vitriol. Like, I'm just I just have this vitriol every time Esteban Torero even comes up in this book, and it's like, why is that? Like, why do I feel so, like so much malice for this character? Right. Like it's like technically if you want to, yeah, like this idea of like forgiveness and redemption and stuff like that. Cause I know Alba kind of explores that at the end, like when she's writing, like, you know, sort of just forgiving those who have like done horrible things to you. It's like, I guess, yeah, it just kind of makes me wonder, like, does he deserve that redemption? Does he do anything to change his behavior? You know what I mean? I like, think that's really it. I think if we had seen Esteban do more anything, you could say like, there is no self-reflection at all. You know what I mean? There's not, mm-hmm. it's not a matter of like, do you, I think someone asked me about someone, this one's like, oh, do you think that person deserves like clemency or something? And I was like, yeah, if he does, a lot of people do. You know what I mean? Like right. a lot of people, didn't. We there's so many people, all of us really, that need someone to give us a little bit of grace. But does Eswat do anything that makes us, that makes it even feel like he's, moderately sorry or even cognitively aware of the amount of damage and harm he's caused no 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 <laughs> no he he asked, i mean he asked blanca to be forgiven he asked maybe alba and maybe clara that's it he never asked oh well, he says i hope the peasants will forgive me Nick, you burned down their whole place and he's like i hope they just come back i don't think that's what I, it is I, I i don't think you get absolved because you just did something and you feel bad that isn't enough no right um Ugh. Anyway, we should talk about our quotes. <laughs> Let's just do our quotes. <laughs> just like get the fuck off the mic, because I mean, I mean, like... I think the, at least the audience knows we we don't get paid and we don't like every book that we read. So now you got our honest opinion. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this fucking book. Okay. So do you, do you have your quote ready? Yes. So there was one part of the book that I really liked at the end, um, and I think even though the book itself was. So there was one part I really liked at the end, even though the book itself. (laughs) 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 The shade. Um, So there was one part at the end that I really, uh, well, there were actually a couple of parts, but there was one part that I thought really resonated with me. And it goes like, so it's Alba at the epilogue and she's saying, I'm beginning to suspect that nothing that happens is fortuitous. 
that it all corresponds to a fate laid down before my birth and that Esteban Garcia is a part of the design. He's a crude, twisted line, but no brushstroke is in vain. The day my grandfather tumbled his grandmother, Pancha Garcia, among the rushes of the riverbank, he added another line, he had another link to the chain of events that had to complete itself. And I do like the fact that she is pointing out that like the evil that you do continues or it's almost like the hate you give. And mm. it's the most aware part, I think, of the book where it is a moment of like, this didn't start with me, but it also didn't start with Esteban Garcia. We need to lay this, you know, it's intergenerational mm. trauma and so you can't just make people villains. And I think that <laughs> is a very self-aware part of the book that I would have liked to be in other parts of the book. It also mentions Pancha Garcia. I think I wish she would have said what it actually was. Her grandfather didn't just tumble Pancha Garcia. You know, right. it was rape. But it is like a moment of awareness that I thought was interesting. And I like the idea of our fates being laid down by other people's choices. I think that's very true and very poignant. Mm, that's interesting that's interesting yeah i remember that passage i like kind of struggled with it a little bit because yeah like she kind of went on to say like you know like the cycle had to complete itself you know the grandson of the woman that was raped had to like you know repeat the gesture and blah 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 blah. and then she kind of loki was like and maybe in the future you know like this will just kind of keep happening <laughs> like it's like this cycle was just like you know maybe you know 40 years from now like my own grandson will like knock garcia's granddaughter down along the bushes and you know like it's just like I'm like, are we really, like, just accepting rape as, like, this phenomenon that just, like, has to continue, like, just because it happened, you know? Like, it's just like, I'm like, are we really doing that right now? Well, she does say that she's going to break the cycle. Yes. I like the first part of <laughs> that whole piece talking about, like, <laughs> fate and, like, things have just happened and niggas aren't just evil. There's context. Thank you, Akko, for that. I'm going to try not to sully any more <laughs> of this book as I already have. But um, a quote that I thought was really cute. And it's not even particularly like resonant or like profound, but like basically this is kind of right after Clara died. It said, Clara's death completely transformed life in the big house on the corner. Gone with her were the spirits and the guests, as well as that luminous gaiety that had always been present, because she did not believe that the world was a veil of tears, but rather a joke that God had played, and that it was idiotic to take it seriously if he himself never had. And I was like, okay. I like that like this because there is like this absurdity that's so undeniable in this book that kind of points to perhaps like you know maybe things just aren't that deep yeah but then some things are kind of deep I guess it's about context and what your like perspective is but yeah I was like I kind of like that idea of like you know this is all temporary not just you know and like just don't take yourself too seriously I was like okay Clara thank you for that so yeah. Yes. I did like that part. I I remember hi- highlighting it as well. I was like, mm, "Okay, Clara, I get you." And I Right. It was like, "Oh. Yeah." It's kind of like the, Have you ever read The Watchmen? I haven't. You know what? This is not necessary. So <laughs> <laughs> We already made a Naruto <laughs> reference. Like, haven't we already done too much? Um Right. So, <laughs> so, that is the end of El Casa de Espíritus or The House of the Spirits. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. And our next book will actually be Marcy's pick. And yes. that is It's Okay, so pardon if I <laughs> fuck up the pronunciation, but it's I think it's pronounced Hemele Ahilo, um, a Hilo song. It is written by Raika Aoki. 
So kind of a pivot from from this book in, in a lot of ways. So I'm really excited to kind of like get into that and kind of explain to you all sort of in the next episode why I chose that book and yeah, sort of our thoughts on the first part of it. So um, we promise for any new listeners, we are usually not the shady girl. Like we usually love the shit we be reading, but like, girl, this book kind of just hit us in a certain way. Also, thank y'all for listening after an, after like what, like an hour and a half, like Jesus Christ. But if you want to get in touch with us in the interim between yes. now and the next episode, feel free to follow us on Twitter at The Colored Pages. We also have a website at thesecoloredpages.com. And we also have an email address at thesecoloredpages at gmail.com. Was there anything else, Akko? Anything you wanted to leave our listeners with before we head out? You know, Marcy, I don't have anything, but maybe we should tell all of our listeners to stay, stay colorful. colorful.